Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you that you have opened a way for us to come boldly into the presence of holiness, the presence of purity, the presence of righteousness, Lord, because we recognize that on our own, we don't possess any of these qualities. Lord, we are sinful, we are broken, we are stained, but you make us clean and pure and holy and righteous. So we thank you, Lord, for this. And now as we open your word together this morning, we pray that you will give us increasing clarity and understanding into how we can walk with you here in this life how we can live in light of you as king and live in your kingdom here and now, Lord, not just looking to the future, but looking at how you want to reign in and through us now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Back in August, I was on the website ESPN.com, and I read a really interesting article about a football player at the University of Southern California who is a bit of a hero. His name is Josh Shaw, and this article told about how this, this man who is the starting quarterback at USC, how he was at a family gathering, and he was up on a balcony, and he looked down in the pool below and saw his seven-year-old nephew who was struggling in the water. He realized his nephew could not swim, and so Josh Shaw selflessly jumped off this balcony down to the, the landing below and rescued his drowning nephew. In the process, he he severely sprained both of his ankles, which put him out of football action indefinitely. But it was quite the inspiring story of sacrifice and of heroism. Now, I, I was moved by this, as were many other people, until a few days later, when it came out that the story was false. It was an utter fabrication. There was very little truth in it. Now, there was a bit of truth and that Josh Shaw did actually jump off a balcony, to be specific, a third-floor balcony below, and he did severely sprain both of his ankles. But there was no nephew down there he was trying to save. Instead, he was trying to get away from a sticky situation with police. Now, he realized that, that he has to figure out some way to explain this because it's not a really pretty story to say, well, I was trying to evade, evade police here, so I jumped off this balcony. But he realized he can't just cover it up because as he's severely sprained ankles, he's not going to be able to play football for a while. People are going to wonder why because the season's going to start really soon. So he came up with this story. Now the USC administrators and coaches, they, they interviewed him a number of times just trying to verify, is this really true? Is this really what happened? And each time he insisted, yes, this is what happened. And so USC, partly because they realize, okay, this requires an explanation of why our starter is not playing, and also because it's such an amazing story, they put the story on their website. Now, this this story, it was so inspiring, it went viral around the internet. Everyone was reading it. This is how I came to read it on ESPN.com. And at this point, Josh Shaw got quite concerned. He he saw the story of his heroism on TV And let me read to you what his response was after it came out that this was all a lie. He said, I saw it on TV, and it was like, boom, whoa, wow. It's not true. Now what do I do? He said, I didn't know what to do. So many thoughts went through my head. I wish my thought was, tell them now. It's not true. But he said that his fear kept him from revealing the truth right away. He said, you know what? I thought I was in way too deep. So what happened was one lie led to another, to another, to another. It all came out, 
And it was very embarrassing, very humbling. I mean, it didn't have to be that bad because the police weren't actually coming after him. He just thought they were. And so he wasn't actually in any legal trouble at all. But instead, it became a very humiliating situation that's probably going to stick with him for a significant period of time. But this shows the lengths to which people will go in order to try to protect their image. Now, we may not be involved in something as high profile as this, but I think we can all relate to this reality that we have these, these truths in our lives, these decisions that we make, these things that we say that we never should have said that are humbling, that are embarrassing, that are inconvenient, or that are downright ugly. And our instinctual reaction when we see these things is to try to cover them up, maybe just to bend the truth a little bit. Now, I I seriously doubt that I'm the only person here today who's ever had this temptation to bend the truth a little bit to try to cover up. Am I the only one? No, probably not. Um, But this is a reality that we all face, that there's this temptation just to try to make ourselves look better, to cover something up, to to try to, to, to conceal the whole truth in order to protect ourselves, to make ourselves look better. But the question that we're looking at today is not how can we do what is convenient or what is comfortable or what is is easy. The question is how does God want us to live as followers of Christ, especially in how we relate to other people around us and how we represent ourselves. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, we're continuing our series now, resuming our series called Life in the kingdom. We began this series back in the fall, um, October, November. It's going through the Sermon on the Mount, trying to understand what does it look like to live life with Jesus as our king and live life in the kingdom of God here and now. Because many times this idea of the kingdom of God can be kind of abstract when we wonder, okay, what does this really look like in our 21st century world? And that's why we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount, which gives a lot of practical teaching of what it looks like to live with Jesus as our king. And today, we're going to see very clearly that living with Jesus as our king makes a big difference in how we speak to others and how we represent ourselves. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles as I read Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 33. Jesus says again, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So the bottom line here that we need to understand is that Jesus is simply saying, you know what? Speak truthfully. Speak truthfully. This is a section of the Sermon on the Mount, if you were, back, if you were here back in November, where Jesus is uh, giving these, this series of statements using a formula that says, okay, you have heard it said. Then he quotes something that they've heard said. And he says then, but I say, so what he's doing is offering his authoritative interpretation of, of what kingdom values are all about. And so Jesus starts off here, verse 33, you've heard it said, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Now we have to understand this is not a direct quote from the Old Testament. What it is is kind of a, a conglomeration of, of a handful of verses uh, that all relate to the same topic. For instance, 
Back in Numbers chapter 30, uh, verse 2, it says, When a man makes a vow to the Lord and takes an oath to obligate himself by pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. So this is one of the places. If you make a vow, make an oath, you have to do it. Follow through. Similarly, Leviticus 19, verse 12 says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so what an oath was back then was essentially saying, You know what? What I am saying, I'm saying in the presence of God, and I swear to you that I am going to fulfill whatever it is I say I'm going to do. It's a way of, of really upping the ante, of showing that you are serious, that you're going to follow through on what you're, going to say, what you're saying you're going to do. And this was a very common practice back in Jesus' day. But interestingly, he says, you've heard it said that if you make an oath, you need to keep it. But here Jesus comes saying, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. So I think we need to understand some of the historical background here of what swearing an oath in Jesus' day was all about. Now, as I said, swearing an oath or making a vow was very common back in Jesus' day. It was just a common way to say, you know what? I'm really serious in this matter. Listen to me. I'm telling the honest truth. But what happened was this became very complicated. I mean, it should have been relatively simple. But it became very complicated, as many other things did in the Jewish culture of that day. And one of the reasons we know it's so complicated is that we have this resource, essentially a book, that is called the Mishnah. The Mishnah um, was a, a book, basically the guidebook for following Jewish principles and laws. And it was, a, uh, it was a compilation of the teaching of rabbis down through the centuries. And in the Mishnah, there was one section that had to do with oaths and swearing to God and keeping your word. Now, the section was not merely one or two paragraphs, but the section, if you translate it into English, was about 9,000 words. Now, if you put these 9,000 words into a Microsoft Word document, single-space it, it's going to be about 13 pages long. So you see, there was a lot of discussion back then about swearing oaths. And a part of this discussion of what is what sort of oaths are binding... And what sort of oaths can you make but then break without any sort of serious repercussions? Let me give you an example. One rabbi there said that, okay, if you swear by Jerusalem, you don't have to keep that oath. You can break it without any negative repercussions. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, it is a binding oath that you need to keep. Okay, by Jerusalem, you can break it. Toward Jerusalem, no, it's binding. It's absolute. Does that seem a little bit confusing to you? Seem kind of nitpicky? It did to them as well. I mean, you're trying to wade your way through all this uh, in terms of, okay, what's binding, what's not, in terms of the traditions that have been built up. It was really, really confusing. It's kind of like if an average layperson today tried to read the IRS tax code, we'd get bogged down in it, we'd get confused, we'd get bored, we'd be like, I'm going to leave this to the professionals. And that's the mentality that, that evolved over time there in that Jewish culture, that the Jewish professionals, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and people like that, the priests, the rabbis, they would devote their time to trying to clarify, okay, these are the oaths that you need to keep. These are the oaths you can make that are fine to break. They understood the nuances of this. The average person did not. So it was incredibly confusing. But God never meant it for it to be confusing. He never meant for all these additional rules to be piled up. Now, one of the things that happened was that people recognized it's a very, very serious thing to swear by God's name. 
That is binding. They remembered back in the Ten Commandments, for instance, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, where God said, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And so they knew, okay, it's a serious thing to swear in God's name and then to break that oath. So what they began to doing was to substitute a lot of other things in the place of God. And we see, see evidence of this in what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 5. He says, you know, don't swear by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or even by your own head. These are examples of the many things that people substituted for God. And basically the mentality here is if you substitute these other things for God, they are not as binding. Okay, if you swear um, by the, the temple in Jerusalem, you know what, that's a serious thing, but it's not as serious as swearing to God. So you can break that without repercussions. And so it became all convoluted here. And so Jesus comes in and says, okay, if you are just going to play games with this issue of oaths and honesty and truthfulness, we're just going to abolish oaths altogether. Just get rid of it. Now, I want to offer us a word of warning here that I think it's easy for us here in the 21st century to look back on what was taking place there and kind of point our finger and say, look at how legalistic and pharisaical they were being. I mean, they shouldn't be doing that type of thing. But we understand that that Christians, well-meaning Christians, still do the same thing today many times. That we take the teachings of Scripture, then we add to Scripture a bunch of different rules and regulations, wanting to clarify them, wanting to um, just kind of put up some extra boundaries to make sure we don't break biblical teaching. And so it's all done in a well-meaning spirit with a desire to honor God. But what ends up happening is that we uh, distort or, or just kind of cloud over the pure teaching of God's Word. And what can end up happening then is that people get focused more on legalistic rule-keeping than on a life-giving relationship with God. So we can be guilty of the very same thing. But what Jesus is doing here is cutting through all that confusion, saying, you know what? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's basically saying, you know what? Just practice simple honesty and follow through. Practice simple honesty and follow through. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Now, in saying this, Jesus is not undoing Old Testament teaching. He's not contradicting what God has said to previous generations because it was never a requirement that you take an oath or a vow. It was an option. I mean, you could do it if you wanted to, but you didn't have to. For instance, back in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 and 22, it says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. So the option is certainly there to refrain from making vows and oaths. It's if you want to do this. If you make the vow, you need to follow through. But if you choose not to, you won't be held guilty for not doing what you didn't make a vow to do in the first place. So Jesus is simply saying, you know what? As my followers, simply choose not to make these sorts of vows. Instead, just lay your yes be yes. Lay your no be no. Speak honestly and follow through on what you say you're going to do. Now, this passage does raise the question sometimes in people's minds. Okay, okay, what about courtrooms? There are certain segments of people who kind of call themselves Christians, some, some maybe legitimately be Christians, some not so much, who say, okay, 
Jesus says, don't swear any oaths. So even if I'm put on the witness stand in the courtroom, I'm not going to swear an oath there, even though the law supposedly requires it of me. Jesus is not really talking about that type of thing here. What he's saying is just, you know what, in general in your life, let your yes be yes, your no be no. I mean, think about the typical oath that you have in a courtroom in a legal setting of to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Should that not be the mentality that we have in all of our lives? That in everything we do, in everything we say, whether it's in our workplace, in our family, in our neighborhood, in, in, in on Facebook, wherever we are, simply to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Practice simple honesty and follow through on what you say. Now, we have to recognize, and what Jesus is saying here is that all of our words carry a significant amount of weight. It's interesting what he says here. He doesn't just say, don't swear by anything else, but he gives reasons why. He says, don't swear by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Basically, what Jesus is saying here is that everything you say, everywhere you are, you can't get away from the presence of God. If you think you're, you're kind of letting yourself off the hook in your oath by swearing by earth, well, recognize that metaphorically speaking, it's God's footstool. God is present here on earth. If you swear by heaven, he's present there. He hears every single word we say, every commitment we make. So Jesus says, you know what? You need to take all your words seriously. That's why he says over in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, he says, but I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. It, all of our words are serious. Now, I think it's funny in our conversations how sometimes we make these statements that we oftentimes don't even realize we're making them. But we, we're coming along, we're going in this conversation, we want to be really serious, make sure someone's paying attention. So we say to them, okay, honestly, this is my opinion. Or quite frankly, or, or I swear to God this is what I mean, or I'm, I'm swearing on my mother's grave, or just anything like that. Honest to God, uh, with God as my witness, let me shoot straight with you. Now these are all different statements that we may make, but it's kind of funny how really what that's saying implicitly, I don't think it's what we usually mean, but what that's saying is, okay, everything I said up to this point may not be fully true, but now, honestly, here is what the truth is. Is that not what that's implying? I, I find myself, some reason, whether on the phone or in my office or whatever, sometimes I'll say honestly um, and then go on. But oftentimes I'll end up getting this funny little rabbit trail in my conversation saying, why did I just say honestly? Because I'm not lying in what I said before. But I think we sometimes just say that stuff just to say, okay, I'm, I'm really, really serious here. Pay attention. But really, the mentality should be that we tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, the entire truth in everything that we do, that we're fully honest. So that way we don't have to say, honestly, or I swear to God in this, or, or I'm telling the truth here. But we can, just, we can just speak. And people know by the testimony of who we are and by the track record of our lives, by the reputation that we carry, that we're telling the truth. It's a reputation and character that's built up over time, but it requires that we are men and women who just are honest in what we say. Honest 
in what we do. And we have to recognize that really the credibility of Christianity, in, in essence, is at stake here, at least to a degree. Many people in our culture have a very low view of Christianity and of Christians. They don't think Christianity is credible. They don't think it's true. And one of the ways that we as Christians can help people believe Christianity is by being truthful ourselves. Now, if you have Christians going around and people in your workplace know you're a Christian, but you're um, easily just making up things, fabricating things, exaggerating, stuff like that, it's going to decrease your own credibility. And then when people associate you with Christ, in their minds, it could easily, easily lower the credibility of Christ as well. So it's really a, a big deal. But I think about how refreshing it is to think about living in a place or in a society or in a family or in a church where people are honest, where they are truthful, where you don't have to worry about, you know what, are they really telling me the truth? They said they're going to do this. Are they really going to do it? I mean, it's so taxing and, and just so tiresome and at times so frustrating to deal with life situations where people are not being fully honest, where you are questioning, are they telling me the truth or not? But how refreshing it is if we were able to be in a setting, which ideally the church is one of those settings, where people are honest and just tell the, the simple truth. This is a picture of what it means to live with Christ as our king and to have his kingdom ruling in and through us as individuals, as a church family, and spreading out into the community. Is that we are people who embody the truth of Christ and are honest about who we are and what's going on in our lives. Now, I want to give us just a couple of practical aspects of this. I, I think a lot of these are just no-brainers, um, but it's important still to say them because we all struggle with these things. One of the practical aspects of, of just practicing simple honesty and following through is just don't lie. I mean, it, it's relatively simple. I mean, you have some people who, who are living out big lies that may, be, may have been going on for weeks or months or years in their lives. It started out as some simple little lie and just kind of grew from there, kind of like Josh Shaw, how it started relatively small and just kind of blew up from there. Now we see from the media all the time that when people base their lives on a lie, at some point, odds are good that it's going to be exposed and things are going to come crashing down. Now I think for most people that you meet, their lives are not really based on these big lies. But at the same time, we have to recognize it is very easy just for these little lies to slip through. I've seen myself, it's very convicting and humbling, just how easy it is that when someone just asks something relatively small and trivial that is convicting, it's just so easy just for a little lie just to slip through your mouth. It's oftentimes not something that anyone will ever verify or anyone will ever know it's a lie, but it just kind of slips out. Like someone says, hey, do you know who put this here? No, I don't, I don't know. When in fact it was you. Or, hey, how does Dick get in the bumper of the car? I don't know. Someone must have hit it in the parking lot. When in fact you know the whole time. But you can, you can plead the fifth. You can say, I don't know. And you get off the hook because no one's probably going to point to you on this. But still, it's that little lie that just kind of slips out because you think I'm not going to be caught. So... It's, it's instinctual, just coming out of the sinful nature that's still a part of our lives, even when we are trying to follow Christ. It's so easy for these lies to slip out, and oftentimes what happens when it starts small, it grows and grows and grows. So we need to be people who cut off the lies 
And if we feel one slipping out or if one does slip out, to be honest, confess it. Say, you know what? I wasn't telling the truth there. We'll come back to that topic in a few minutes. Another practical thing is be truthful without exaggeration. Exaggeration is easy, especially when we're telling stories. Um, exaggeration oftentimes makes stories more enjoyable, more engaging. But exaggeration is simply stretching the truth. And oftentimes it's done with an eye towards making us look better. You think about the classic fish story. Someone's out there fishing, they catch a nice fish, maybe that big or so. They tell it to a friend. Well, in the, in the retelling of it, it grows a few inches. Over the years, it's grown a little bit bigger. Suddenly, you get a few years down the road. I mean, it's a massive uh, fish, the biggest fish they've ever seen. Biggest fish anyone they know has ever caught. And the funny thing is, as this exaggeration is perpetuated through the years, that the person telling it actually begins to believe it. And they, they don't remember that the fish was only this big to begin with. Instead, in their minds, they think they genuinely caught a fish that was like that. That's what happens when you get this mentality of exaggeration. And, I mean, we have to catch ourselves on this and just speak the simple, honest truth. I mean, I think something relatively small for myself that, you know, this last week was convicting for me because I've been working on this sermon about truth and stuff like that. And I just realized all these little ways that I am tempted to bend the truth at times or to exaggerate. I thought about my bicycle riding. I like riding bicycle. I still do it here in, even through the winter. It's fun. Um, oftentimes, I mean, I, I, when I get in conversations with people about bicycle riding, sometimes they'll ask, okay, how, how much do you ride? How far do you ride? And I'll say, well, I oftentimes try to ride like 60, 70 miles a week. And you know what? That is my goal. And I have done that at times. But I need to make sure I don't portray this as my norm. Because even though that's my goal, it's what I desire to do, the reality is I have a lot of weeks that are like 30 miles, maybe 40 miles, some weeks that are like 15 miles. Because there are all kinds of other things that enter into life. Weather is a big factor, especially here in the winter. Busyness, family life, all these other things enter in. And so I need to be careful because, you know what, people are oftentimes really impressed when I say, I bike 60, 70 miles a week. Sounds really cool. But I don't have that many weeks where I actually get anywhere near that. If I were to average it out, it would be a whole lot less, like half that distance. So I need to be careful not to exaggerate things just to make myself look good. And oftentimes, you know what, it's just, it's relatively innocuous. It's not that big of a deal. Yet if we want our yeses to be yes and our no to be no, we need to speak the honest, simple truth without exaggeration. Another thing is to watch out for flippant commitments and statements. There are so many things we just easily say without really meaning them. For instance... I'll pray for you. How often do we say I'll pray for you, but then never really follow through with it? That's one of the reasons that um, when, when I sense the need to say I'll pray for you, I'll oftentimes just offer to pray for the person over the phone or before we uh, depart from our meeting with one another. So that way, if I'm going to pray for them, I've done it right there. I've, I've at least followed through on that commitment one time. Or if I don't pray for them uh, in person, as soon as I hang up the phone or as soon as I get in the car, I'll pray for them so that I make sure that, that I've prayed for them if I said I'm going to. Now, hopefully I'll keep doing that. But we need to make sure if, we're, if we commit to something, follow through with it. Oftentimes people flippantly say, you know what, let's get together sometime. And then years and years pass, and you say that like 20 times through the years, but there's never any real commitment to actually getting together. To me, if you're going to say it, do it. 
If you're not planning to do it, don't say it. I mean, something else that is just kind of my own personal little soapbox is, how are you doing? In our culture, how are you doing doesn't really mean how are you doing. In our culture, how are you doing means, hi, I see you there. Good morning. Right? I mean, that's oftentimes what it means. Oftentimes, you see that in the response. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. When in reality, oftentimes, people aren't really doing fine. There's more of a story behind it. So, so this flippant question yields an untruth in response, and that's just the culture that we are in. So that's one of the reasons why, for me, like I said, it's just this personal soapbox that I don't ask, how are you doing, all that often. And when I do, at least my intent, I'm not always 100% perfect on this, but my intent is if I ask, how are you doing, I really want to hear, how are you doing? I want it to be an honest answer. So odds are good it's going to be more than just a a five-second interaction, but it's going to be at least, you know, a minute or two could lead into much more after that. But make sure that we are not flippant in in our commitments or even in our statements. And finally, if you say you're going to do something, do it. Simply following through. If you say you're going to do something, do it. We have opportunities every single day to speak honestly and to speak truthfully, to act truthfully. I mean, I think about how um, coming up here in February, we are having a movie night as a church, uh, watching the movie God's Not Dead. It's a cool, um, really engaging, informative movie. One of the realities that to show a movie like that in public is that you have to pay a licensing fee. I was looking at the licensing fee a few weeks ago and just realized, man, this thing's not cheap. I knew it was not cheap. I mean, it's a couple hundred dollars, not a ton of money, but still not cheap. And I was just thinking about all the different options. I mean, not seriously considering, but I was thinking, you know what? It would be so easy just to buy the DVD, show the movie, not buy a license. Probably no one would ever know or question it. Or there are different stages of licensing depending on the size of church you have. I thought, you know what? It would be really easy to just say, you know what? Our church is smaller than it is because we're not that far from the um, next lowest tier. And you can save. It's half price if you go to that next lower tier. How easy would that be? Hey, I have a license. Yeah, I fudge the numbers a little bit, but not that big a deal. That's just an example how every single day in conversations and decisions we make, we have opportunities to be truthful or not. And what we need to do is choose truthfulness. And I think we need to really dig to the heart of the issue of not just making rules of don't lie and don't exaggerate and follow through and stuff like that, but ask, okay, what's really at the heart? Why do people lie? Why do we exaggerate? Why do we not follow through? I think the root issue is that we care about our image. We, we care about how other people perceive us. And so that causes us to change, to try and manage other people's perceptions of us by bending the truth. So it's really a heart issue, and it comes back to the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that though we are sinners, he loves us unconditionally, and through faith in him, we can have new life. We can be free of condemnation and guilt, that we can be fully loved and fully accepted by the God of the universe, and that should change us from the inside out. Christian psychologist Larry Crabb has said, somehow we fail to grasp that God's acceptance makes anyone else's rejection no more devastating than a misplaced dollar would be to a millionaire. We foolishly believe that other people's acceptance represents a legitimate measure of our value. If we are really basking 
and, and, and the good news of the fact that through Christ that we are fully loved and fully accepted, that there, there is no shame, no condemnation, then we don't need to try to cover up for ourselves. We don't need to try to make ourselves look better in the eyes of others. Instead, we can just be honest and say, you know what, this is who I am. Yeah, these are the good parts. These are the not-so-pretty parts. These are the downright ugly parts. But we can be honest. And what ends up happening as we are honest and truthful is that we can experience grace and growth. Because when we are not honest and truthful, we are stunting our growth spiritually and in other forms of maturity. And we're really limiting the amount of grace that we can experience in our lives. I mean, I picture our lives kind of like with this door where when we bend the truth and when we try to hide from the, the, the ugly realities, it's kind of like closing that door. We don't want other people to see what's really going on. But what happens when we close that door is that we also prevent grace from coming into our lives. But then if we are willing to open that door and be honest with others, with ourselves, with God, then it allows grace to come in and allows a renewal to take place. It allows growth to happen. We all need people in our lives who we can trust, who we can be honest with. That's one of the reasons that we try to point people to what we call huddles here at the church, these small groups of people who meet on a regular basis. That it's a trusting relationship. That They're trying to sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron, where people can be honest and say, you know what, this is what's going well. This is where I'm struggling. Where you can be honest and you can experience true growth. Because we're not going to grow if we're trying to cover up everything that is not pretty about ourselves. But when we expose it to the light, we allow God's grace to come in. We allow others to speak encouragement and life and truth into our lives. And then we will be growing. So my prayer for us as individuals and really as a church family is that we will be people, we will be a community that is based on truthfulness and honesty that is based on the gospel where we freely acknowledge, you know what? I'm not perfect. I don't have it together. Kyle already knows that. And we can acknowledge that too. And then in the process, receive God's grace and live with credibility and integrity. Integrity doesn't mean we have it all together. Integrity means that we are honest about who we are. And that is a life that honors God and his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you again that you came to, to forgive us of the, um, and to purify us from all the uh, messiness that we have created in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to live with honesty and with integrity, that when people see us, that, that we will not worry about them seeing us as perfect, because Lord, we certainly are not. That we will not worry about putting on the front, but that we will be able to just present ourselves honestly, humbly, and that in doing so, that the light of Christ will be able to shine through us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.